was a professor of pharmacy practice, a supporting sponsor of Aquafarm at Bill Gatt the College of Pharmacy. Uh, coming to you from my dining room, as usual, it is uh, the 27th of August. Uh, been another 2020 uh, year and a week sort of a thing. Uh, so this past Sunday, I'm sitting by the pool. Kids are playing, enjoying a, a nice uh, frosty beverage, and throw out on uh, on Instagram a little call for ideas for um, for podcast episodes. And um, and Jackie Holman talked about chemotherapy induced alopecia, um, which is something that is a uh, which is a great topic, I think, for uh, for the podcast. It is something that. Uh, as alopecia is a core, or what I call the, uh, you know, a hallmark toxicity of chemotherapy, uh, and it's so kind of ubiquitous and expected that uh, sometimes we don't even think about it. But as she pointed out, it's it's often a reason uh, that patients, uh, one of their biggest fears and concerns as a patient uh, when they're receiving treatment, uh, and you can even find literature out there of patients who refuse chemotherapy uh, because of the risk of of um, of losing their hair. So um, just a little bit of background. We all know, right, uh, this is how I've always thought about it. Chemotherapy kills rapidly dividing cells. Our hair is constantly growing, therefore it's rapidly dividing. Uh, now there, there's a little bit more to it than that. So uh, we have, um, uh, you know, our hair cells, <laughs> as I call them, your hair follicles, uh, they're uh, keratinocytes, and they're highly. Pr- there are three phases of the of keratinocyte, I guess, activity, uh, and uh, one of those is antigen. Um, uh, then there's uh, telogen. There's another one, but antigen is where they're very metabolically, or not metabolically, but mitotically active. So that's where during antigen is when uh, our keratinocytes that produce hair, hair follicles, when they would be susceptible to chemotherapy. And the cells of our scalp are in the antigen phase much more commonly than hair of, say, eyebrows, uh, pubic region under the arms, things like that, which is why the scalp is what is mostly affected. Um, Which, okay, that makes sense, right? Pretty easy. Um, The other thing that I want to point out before we go into this is how the the grading of alopecia. Um, Because there's a lot of, uh, I guess, question marks when you dig into the alopecia literature, when you look into it. Um, so the, the CTCAE, the Common Terminology Criteria for Adverse Events, something I Google very frequently, CTCAE PDF. Uh, so there are only two grades of alopecia, right? Because alopecia can't be life-threatening or severe. There's a grade one and grade two, and grade one is less than 50% of normal hair. Grade two is greater than or equal to 50%, uh, requiring a wig uh, associated with psycho, uh, psychosocial impact, okay? So like not wanting to go to church, for example, because uh, of, of having alopecia would be grade two. But what you'll find in the literature, especially older literature, is that you'll see grade three and four alopecia reported. And I don't understand uh, what would be life-threatening about alopecia, for example. I may be missing something. Um, so, so that's kind of the, the, the baseline here. And, and we've all, uh, of course, learned that usually your hair, if you, get, if you have alopecia and your hair falls out, it falls out at a random time, doesn't fall all at once. It's kind of a gradual process. Uh, and the hair almost always grows back, although not all the time. There are there's a growing body of literature about permanent alopecia following chemotherapy, especially with taxanes. Seems to be more prevalent with taxanes, um, and that sometimes the hair can come back a slightly different color or a slightly different texture. So if you had curly hair, it could come back straight. If you had straight hair, it can come back curly. And these are all nice things for patients to know. Uh, and generally, it starts 
you know, uh, at the end of cycle one or maybe in the middle of cycle, cycle two, uh, but it's, it's obviously very distressing for patients. So what I wanted to do, uh, and Jackie's idea was, you know, how common is this by regimen? And um, I thought, oh, that'd be fun. I, I love doing kind of uh, deep dives on, on literature and going through this. And, and what I found is a couple things that are surprising. One is apparently we used to grade alopecia in three and four, and I actually went back to the CTCAE like versions three and two and couldn't find a grade three or four. Uh, and I didn't find a separate grading system for alopecia. So I thought, you know, historically, I've always kind of minimized this. I don't think of alopecia as a reason to or uh, to recommend one regimen over the other. I, neutropenia, maybe neuropathy, uh, things like that are, are things that I think about from a toxicity. The patient's performance status, for example, and can they tolerate you know, a full furinox versus a gemabraxane or gem if they have pancreatic cancer. Those are the ways I think of I haven't really thought of alopecia a whole lot when, um, when thinking about patient care, perhaps to my detriment as a clinician. Uh, however, I'm not the only one that's done this because when you look at most of the clinical trials, a lot of the recent ones, Alopecia is not reported in any of the tables or supplementary appendixes as a side effect of a drug of drugs that we know cause alopecia. So uh, it's to the point that it's not even reported in many of the modern clinical trials. If you look at the adverse events, and maybe that's most of the time we're not we're not studying cytotoxic chemo a whole lot anymore. Um, so I wanted to go through you know some of the common regimens, and this will be a whole lot of numbers. So I have a, I have a little reference that that'll post uh, probably on Instagram, uh, OncoFarmPod at OncoFarmPod on Instagram if you want to see that. Um, so uh, AC, and this is from the Sperano paper from uh, NEJM in 2008. This was AC followed by four different taxing regimens. And the, the rate of alopecia reported during AC was 64 or 60 to 65% depending on which arm. There are four arms, 64, 64, 65, 65. So pretty uh, uniform, really, really uh, I guess, uh, precise measurement there, 64, 65%. Uh, it seems seems low in practice. Seems like it's more like 100% of patients on AC have some degree of alopecia, but 64 to 65% are are from some good data. Now they also report the rates of alopecia for uh, then the taxane arms. I'm not sure how you differentiate taxane induced neuropathy or alopecia after they've had AC, but those rates are 56, 55, 56, 53 for the four different taxane regimens. So we'll just say. A little above 50%. So right away, what we are seeing here is, you know, our, our antimicrotubule agents like taxanes very commonly cause alopecia, and then combination chemotherapy with an anthracycline or an alkaline agent like an AC often cause alopecia. So 50/50 or worse are more likely to have alopecia. And in fact, the docetaxel may be a little bit worse than paclitaxel because in the docetaxel arms, there was less than 1% grade 3 or 4 alopecia. Again, I don't know what that means. Uh, so from, from our kind of our breast cancer scenario, I'll add one more study, and this is from Christine, which was uh, uh, docetaxel, carboplatin, trastuzumab, and pertuzumab, TCHP. Uh, this is in the metastatic setting. Uh, alopecia, 63%, so that's with carboplatin and a taxane. Uh, so what you see here, just looking at this, AC had more alopecia than just a taxane, uh, and then a taxane plus carbo had about the same alopecia as AC. So combination chemotherapy, as you would expect, has a higher risk for alopecia than, uh, than single agent chemotherapy. And of course the doses are going to matter. You give docetaxel 100, you would expect more alopecia than docetaxel 75, for example. Um, and you know these numbers are probably not going to change how you would counsel patients on alopecia, but for somebody uh, with breast cancer getting these regimens, you would you would certainly want to say it's more likely than not that you will lose your hair, and to counsel them through what that will look like and how the hair will fall out and what are the options with regards 
uh, to wigs and hats and things like that. All right, let's look at some of the colon cancer literature, and, and things are a little all over the place. Um, so if we, and, and part of that is that uh, if you look back at our uh, landmark podcast on the Mosaic trial, is that we keep changing how we're giving 5-FU over and over again. Um, so if we go to, uh, uh, let's go let's go back to JCO 2007, Schmoll, S C H M O L L. This was a what looked to be this maybe a registry study for uh, for Zalota, but but didn't turn out to get an approval in the adjuvant setting because they compared it not to to the standard of care. But this was KBOX compared to the Mayo Clinic regimen and the Roswell Park regimen in the adjuvant setting for stage three colon cancer. And we don't use the Mayo regimen or the Roswell Park regimen, but they were they were the precursors, but kind of before uh, the five FU. Uh, bolus that we use in, in Folfox. So the Mayo Clinic regimen is just Leucovorin and Bolus 5-FU every day for one week, then three weeks off, repeated every four weeks. The Roswell Park regimen is Leucovorin and then a higher bolus dose of 5-FU uh, weekly for six weeks, two weeks off. So these are Bolus 5-FU regimens, not infusion 5-FU. And you see alopecia rates at 24% with the Mayo Clinic regimen, where you got it every day uh, for a week, versus 9% with the Roswell Park regimen. Uh, and then 4% with Kpox. So from that, you would say Capecitabine, Noxoplatin, even less neuropathy than Bolus 5-FU. All right, we don't just do Bolus 5-FU, though. We do Bolus and Infusional 5-FU. Uh, so I'll refer you to the Colucci study from JCO 2005. This is a, an Italian study comparing uh, Full Fury to Full Fox 4. Now, Full Fox 4 has more Bolus and less infusion than modified Full Fox 6, modified full Fox, full Fox 6 we all use. Uh, the rate of alopecia with full fury was 42% compared to 19% with uh, with full fox. So you would you would expect more alopecia with full fury than full fox, and you even see a little bit less alopecia if you do the modified full fox six, for example. And uh, we'll talk about the Scott regimen, which is in Lancet Oncology 2018. This was modified full fox six or Kpox. This was looking at three months of that combined versus six months. So they didn't differentiate the alopecia in the full fox versus the Kpox, what they did was differentiate the alopecia from three months to six months. And what we saw was if you got three months of treatment for colon cancer, 17% alopecia, that went up to 24% in the six months. So even though we think of this alopecia happening very early after the first couple cycles, this does provide some evidence that the longer you're on treatment, uh, the more you'd have alopecia, although still less than one in four had alopecia. So full fox, not a regimen where you would expect everyone to lose their hair, unlike, say, AC. On the last uh, GI, or the last colon cancer regimen I'll talk about, is um, a Greek uh, paper from BMC Cancer in 2015 looking at modified full FOX6 versus KPOX. The rates of alopecia were 4% versus 1%, which is lower than anything else that I, I found in the literature. And uh, just a personal note, uh, my wife has, well, let's call it a, um, a birthday of note coming up next year. So we're kind of planning a bucket list trip, and we like to go to, you know, the, the Cyclades Islands in Greece, so I'm looking at lots of pictures on Instagram, and I'm seeing not so much a whole bunch of uh, older folks, but when I do see older folks in like a village, it's always a Greek guy with a really thick, healthy head of hair, so maybe they're just somewhat resistant to alopecia, but the numbers from this Greek paper are lower than what you see for other full fox regimens, which is again, right around 20%, we'll say, 20% alopecia with full fox if you were looking for one number to remember. Okay, uh, let's move on. The next one I have is Bernard Coifier's landmark paper in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2002 for CHOP versus RCHOP. Uh, these were all elderly patients, 6 to 80, uh, but 97% alopecia. 
with chop or our chop. So that's that you round that to 100. Everyone with our chop, again, you've got uh, you know a, a pretty hefty dose of anthracycline and cyclophosphamide together. Uh, and notably, that number is higher. So that 97% is higher than AC. So you wouldn't expect the prednisone to be contributing a lot to the alopecia. Some of the increasing would contribute, um, but 97%. So 100% alopecia with RCHOP based on uh, the literature. Uh, let's talk about pancreatic cancer since I alluded to that earlier. Uh, Conroy's paper in NEJM 2011 comparing fulfurinox to single-agent gemcitabine. 11.4% uh, um, alopecia with fulfurinox. Now, I just want to pause there. 11% alopecia with fulfurinox. When fulfuri in a GI population uh, had 40%. Uh, how is that? I can't explain that. It's the same doses of bolus 5-FU and irinotecan plus your audience oxaloplatin. Not sure why the alopecia rates would be lower uh, or if this was in 2011 and people were just you know not following that as much. Um, that was compared to 1.2% alopecia with gemcitabine. And then if you look at uh, Von Hoff's paper in 2013 of gemabraxane versus gemcitabine, uh, gem plus uh, nab paclitaxel, 50% alopecia uh, versus it wasn't reported with gemcitabine. So we're starting to see some trends here. So if you have a taxane, you know, kind of by itself, you would expect to see, you know, 50% neuropathy rate, or not neuropathy, 50% alopecia rate, sorry, I'm talking about alopecia, 50%. I'm thinking when I hear taxane, I just kind of want to say <laughs> neuropathy, but 50% alopecia kind of with just taxane. If you add an anti-metabolite like gemcitabine, it doesn't appear to ha add any more alopecia. And then you see our anthracycline cyclophosphamide combinations, uh, more like two-thirds of patients. You throw in some other chemo, like with RCHOP, you get upwards of 100%. Um, if we look at the landmark bladder cancer paper, Vondermas and JCO 2000, comparing MVAC versus cisplatin and gemcitabine, 54% uh, alopecia with MVAC versus 10.5% with cisplatin and gemcitabine. So again, low number there, even though we have an alkylating type agent with cisplatin and a metab anti-metabolite like gemcitabine. Um, in ovarian cancer, ICON-3 and Lancet 2002, we have carbopaclitaxel. You're seeing uh, alopecia rates of 73 to 80%. Um, now, now, this seems uh, in some ways appropriate. This is AUC-5 of carboplatin and, and paclitaxel, 175 milligrams per meter squared. That's in stark contrast to um, a regimen of carboplatin, paclitaxel, and bevacizumab uh, in lung cancer. And this is the pronounced study, Zinner et al. in 2015, Journal of Thoracic Oncology, where carboplatin, paclitaxel, and bevacizumab had a 28% rate of alopecia compared to 75% basically with carbopaclitaxel in an ovarian cancer population. And I know I say that doses matter, but the lung cancer study with the 28% uh, risk of alopecia gave AUC6 of carbo and 200 of paclitaxel. By the way, that's the standard lung cancer dosing from the studies. So higher chemo doses, and they showed less neuropathy than in the ovarian cancer population. Now, some of that may have to do with cycles of therapy. So carbopaclitaxel, uh, in this study, they, they, uh, they only did four cycles, whereas carbopaclitaxel for ovarian cancer, they would have done at least six cycles. So that may have something to do with having more cycles of chemo. Uh, by comparison and pronounce, uh, carboplatin pemetrexid, 8% risk of alopecia compared to 28 with carbopaclitaxel and bevacizumab. Uh, staying in the lung cancer realm, if we go to the, the classic Scagliotti paper from 2010 and JCO comparing cis to 6-GEM, 
Uh, we did a Landmarks uh, podcast about that called Brief History of Pemetrexid. Um, so cisgem 20% uh, alopecia compared to 12% with cisplatin pemetrexid. So those are regimens where you wouldn't expect a ton of patients to lose their hair. Uh, looking at uh, extensive, states, extensive stage small cell lung cancer, Lee in 2009 in Thorax published uh, a regimen of cisetoposide versus cisgem. 68% alopecia with cisetoposide compared to 17% with cisgem, which is in the same ballpark of what we saw in the cisgem uh, urethelial patient population. So you can see that etoposide, taxanes, anthracyclines, and cyclophosphamide, when you're combining those, you see uh, higher rates of alopecia than when you're adding, say, gemcitabine plus cisplatin or, or pemetrexid plus cisplatin. Um, so we're seeing, you know, some common trends here. Antimetabolites have lower rates of alopecia, generally, um, uh, than you would expect. So uh, I, I wanted to, to go through and look at every landmark paper that I could and look at the rates of alopecia. And as I tried to do that, I found, I found to, uh, some disappointment that alopecia was not reported a whole lot uh, in these papers, despite it being a, uh, a pretty distressing uh adverse drug reaction for a drug event for many patients. Um, there is a, another whole body of literature out there about uh, you know risk factors for people having psychosocial concerns with alopecia and of course we have the cool cap and nice data using cool cap to, to kind of cut that cut down the risk of alopecia but uh, hopefully now uh, you you kind of know a little bit more about this foundational topic about alopecia. Um, you know, and, and you can, there's, there's also more literature about using minoxidil after people lost hair to have it grow back faster. Uh, in, in our practice, I've never seen that used a whole lot uh, for patients, just a tincture of time and, and letting, it, letting it grow back. Uh, so if you're looking for kind of the wrap-up take-home message, you know, AC followed by taxane, most of those patients are going to lose their hair. RCHOP, they're all going to lose their hair, you would expect. Uh, your lung cancer patients with carboplatin paclitaxel, more neuropathy than, say, a, a pemetrexid-based regimen, uh, and, and much less than a platinum etoposide-based regimen. Uh, those would be kind of your take-homes. And, of course, if you're doing, like, you know, Melphalan 200 autotransplant for, for myeloma, uh, you would expect to see significant alopecia in, in all those patients. Uh, so so that's, that's alopecia. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetNip. Follow the podcast, as I mentioned, on both Instagram and Twitter at OncoFarmPod. And uh, if you have other suggestions, uh, feel free to shoot me a message. Uh, you know, trying to keep up the pace here and, and put these out once a week with all the 2020s happenings going on. Uh, stay safe, everyone. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.